Hello and welcome to Allegedly Astrology. Each week we'll be breaking down the astrology that happened during some of the biggest scandals and events in history. So Dana, what are we covering on this episode? Today we're talking about the life of Amy Winehouse with a very special guest. You know her, you love her, astrologer Eliza Kelly. Yes! Eliza! Yay! So <laughs> pumped. And this is a listener request. We love listener requests, you guys. Keep them coming. So just a little top line. Eliza is a celebrity astrologer, best-selling author, columnist, and host. Her work has been featured in outlets like the New York Times, the New Yorker, Vogue, InStyle, The Cut. She hosts People TV Celebrity Astrology Investigation and is a recurring guest on the Drew Barrymore Show. And odds are, if you are any kind of an astrology fan, you've seen her because she's on the hustle, she's everywhere. And Aliza, tell us about yourself. What is your big three and how did you get into astrology? Um, I am a Leo sun. I am a Capricorn rising and I am a Pisces moon. Um, so I feel like I... And then if I go into the rest of the chart, it's like even more of everything. So I really do feel like I have a lot of the bases covered. Um, I got into astrology by way of feeling very confused in my early 20s. I, I mean, going back further than that, I had always been interested in astrology. I have a Sagittarius mom who was very um, encouraging of like all things that are that curiosity mysticism, spirituality, religion. Love that. Big, big bookshelf in my home filled with like all of the weird Barnes and Nobles purchases you could have made in the 90s and early 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I never, to me, there was never a separation between like anything else I was curious and sort of intrigued by and astrology. So when I found myself um, in my early 20s, sort of struggling to figure out who I was, what I wanted to do. Astrology seemed like a very reasonable solution to look into. And at that time, at that time and place, it was, it answered so many questions, provided so much clarity, um, and it got me hooked. So it's been 10 years of working in astrology. Um, Obviously, I didn't start as an astrologer, like just from the jump, but um, I did start an astrology dating app in 2000, oh, 10 years ago in 2013. So it has been sort of like an interesting so journey ahead of your in time. The of astrology. What can we say? That's a North Node in Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually something that I was wondering because I feel like you are so like you are like such a business, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm a Capricorn rising, you know, there's a lot of Capricorn energy represented among this group. So like you guys get it, like it's it comes from a place of like both, you know, deep ambition and deep insecurity. (laughs) So it's like that's that's the the true hustle, right? (laughs) It's like integrating all of that. I love it. Yes, fellow Cap Rising here. It's also very Capricorn to say it in that way. I feel like uh, it almost <laughs> overshadows your Leo. Well, I don't know. I'm a Leo Rising and I'm not like, I'm so great. But yeah, because like oh, there are a lot of Capricorn astrologers and you happen to do stuff that a lot of people haven't. So that's true. Trying to validate that Leo son of yours because I. <laughs> well, you can't. You literally can't because it's conjunct my south node. Exactly. Oh. It's zero degree. Orb. Oh, no. So they're, and in the eighth house. So there's nothing you can do to make it happy. It's just. <laughs> It's just perpetually tortured, so. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, speaking speaking of tortured souls, let's get into this episode. There's a trigger warning that comes with this episode. We will be 
talking a lot about things like alcoholism, drug abuse, domestic abuse in this episode. So, you know, if you're not into that, you don't have to listen. But if you are curious, Amy Winehouse was a British singer songwriter who skyrocketed to fame thanks to her deep vocals and a mix of soul, rhythm, blues, and jazz. Her voice is just like so unique and amazing. And though she's considered a modern music icon and was ranked one of the 100 greatest women in music, her success was tragically short-lived by her very public battle with substance abuse. So let's learn a little bit more about Amy and her astrology. Yeah, so Amy was born to a pharmacist mom and a taxi driver dad. She was born into a very musical family. A lot of her uncles were professional jazz musicians. Her grandma was a singer and dated a jazz saxophone player, and her parents would always sing her Frank Sinatra. So from an early age, she was just like very into music. And her mom said that she was very determined to be a singer. Um, So what are her big three? Okay, Amy Winehouse was born on September 14th, 1983 at 1025 in Enfield, England. And she's a Virgo sun, a Capricorn moon, and a Gemini rising. So she's very mercurial. Um, her Virgo sun is conjunct Mercury retrograde, which is exalted also in Virgo, and it's square Neptune in Sagittarius, and this is major addiction energy. I've mentioned before on other episodes that Virgo, um, I associate Virgo, and I think a lot of astrologers kind of do, since it's a sign of health, it's also kind of the sign of addiction. It's a very obsessive sign. Um, my favorite addict, Kat Marnell, she's a Virgo. And then squaring that Neptune in her seventh house, which is also uh, associated with addiction, it's sort of... It kind of leads to that, you know, addiction aura. And then with her Capricorn moon in the eighth house and ruling her second house. So the second house of salary, uh, her Capricorn moon in the eighth house is like tortured, right? It's at zero degrees. So it's freshly in Capricorn. She could have been a Sagittarius moon, but she popped out as a Capricorn moon. And Capricorn, uh, the moon in Capricorn is in detriment. And it's my favorite planet, I think, in detriment. Um, Because I like anyone who can get stuff done as a famously useless person. I watched Michael Jackson's funeral and it really affected me. Uh, But I remember Smokey Robinson said that you could hear in Michael Jackson's voice that he just had like like a pain and like he knew something. And I feel like that's very much what this eighth house Capricorn moon is with her like very deep voice. And like when she's saying you could just like even in her performances that were bad you could just sort of like hear or not bad because she was never bad but in the ones where she wasn't really prepared or like mentally there there's just sort of like a knowing in her voice and then she has the Sagittarius stellium including Jupiter conjunct Uranus um and the south node conjunct Neptune and that's again squaring her sun and Mercury retrograde and so this Sagittarius is a sign of the pop star and I feel like this square is really subverting the expectations of like the pop star image or the poster child pop star that we know about uh, that we're used to with like Britney, Christina, who else? There are more. Taylor Swift. There yes. we go. <laughs> <laughs> Miley Cyrus, Billie Eilish. Oh, yeah. The Billie. list goes on and on with the Sag pop stars. On and on. Also, her Venus stationed retrograde uh, or stationed direct 19 days or 19 hours after she was born. And it's conjunct Mars. And that's in her third house in Leo. And that's I feel like I'll get into that a little bit more. But that's really sort of giving her that like extreme level of like individuality and with that trining her Sagittarius stellium it's sort of like this just like passionate um you know sort of like fire sign like I'm here I'm myself like I cannot be anything else and I'm really sorry but I'm not 
Um, and then also Neptune and Chiron both stationed retrograde six days after she were bo- was born. So they're both really important planets in her chart. Chiron is the wounded healer, and that's in uh, her first house, in her first house and her whole sign houses uh, in Gemini. And so that will also deal with her voice. So I feel like a lot of Gemini Chirons like sort of um, are wounded about like when like people aren't listening to them or like how they say stuff doesn't come out right. So I feel like singing is a way to sort of get any sort of message out that you're like wounded about. Right. It's like. Any, anything that's like wounded can become art. And then, of course, Neptune, again, being sort of the planet of like both art and addiction and sort of just substance and confusion. Both of those together sort of, I think, dictate her substance issues as well as sort of like maybe maybe how she's portrayed. Like no one really ever gets it right, I feel. Aliza, please take it away. No, no, I love all of your observations. I think that those are super astute and you brought up lots of things that I hadn't seen before in her chart, which is really a delight. Um, one thing I want to just go back to is the moon in Capricorn in that detrimental position. Um, I don't know if I've ever met someone who has a moon in Capricorn who doesn't have like big daddy issues, you know, mm. because the moon represents the mother traditionally. And obviously like Capricorn, as we know, is the the zaddy zodiac sign. <laughs> so to have the moon in Capricorn, there is this sort of like longing for a father. There's longing for the compassion, for the visibility, for being seen, being nurtured, being loved by the traditional sort of father figure more than, let's say, you know, the moon in its domicile in Cancer would be. Um, so moon in Capricorn, I would say is like very, very big daddy issues energy by and large. Um, And then I also, on that Chiron in Gemini note, something I have seen anecdotally with that too is this, because Gemini is also very much associated with like siblings. And I believe Amy Winehouse was an only child. Um, And unless, does she have any siblings? I think she might have a sister or a brother. Regardless of whether there was a sibling, there's, I found that the, Chiron and Gemini energy feels very lonely, very, very lonely, very sort of isolated from peers, um, very sort of disconnected from friends. It's it feels like misunderstood um, is probably like the most common manifestation I have seen of a Mercury or a a Chiron in Gemini. I love that. I guess a Mercurial Chiron, actually. Yeah. Okay, so she did have a brother, but I feel like he never really... What's his really... deal? What the fuck? Yeah. He was older than her by four years. Honestly, that also might be the moon in Capricorn too, right? Because if you have two men, two, like an older brother and a father who are not protecting you, that could also manifest through that as well. Oh yeah, totally. Wow, I never, I like that. I mean, I don't like it, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. We like that observation. But yeah, so her parents divorced when she was nine. And from there, she started skipping school, smoking weed, and getting tattoos, which is so young. Um, and while this is going on, she was writing a lot of music and singing around London. And so Amy attended a theater school. People said she was expelled for not applying herself and for piercing her nose while she was there. Other people say she wasn't. She just like switched schools. We don't know. We weren't there, but she did go to a few different schools. We don't know why. I think one was just better than the other and she was good. So she went to a better school. Um, But she focused on theater there and singing before eventually dropping out. And she bought her first guitar at 14 
started writing music, and by 16, she was performing with jazz groups, and she eventually became the featured female vocalist with the National Youth Jazz Orchestra. Then she made a demo, and her friend sent it to an A&R person, which got her a record deal, so like chic for her. She then released her critically acclaimed debut album, Frank, which she co-wrote. And people heard her soulful voice and were like, oh my god, you sound like Billie Holiday, and then they listened to her lyrics, and They're like, wow, you're really good at writing. And she became just a really big success in the UK. She went platinum and she won a lot of awards for not only her singing, but also her writing as well. Yeah. And like one, when I was like looking at this, I feel like we're not doing a bywheel between Amy and Kurt, but they have so many things in common, I feel like, from just like their life and their relationships and like how they dealt with fame. Um, And also we just covered... Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. We'll link to it in the show notes if you haven't listened to it. It's a great episode. But just like Kurt and Amy grew uncomfortable with their fame and she would self-medicate with weed to calm her anxiety. And she would also hang out in pubs to like chill out and drink. And this is where she would eventually meet her husband, Blake. And Blake Fielder Civil was a production assistant when Amy met him. And the story goes that they instantly fell in love. But a lot of people were just not into this relationship. Her manager, Nick Godwin, noted an ominous shift in her. He said Amy changed overnight after she met Blake. Her personality became more distant. It seemed to him that um, that was down to the drugs. And when he met her, she smoked weed, but she thought people who took class A drugs were stupid. And then she used to laugh at them. Yeah. And then that obviously changed. But something that I thought was interesting was I always assumed that this Blake guy, because I guess I didn't really know that much about Amy's life. I assumed he was like a singer himself or an actor. I didn't realize he was just like, a regular guy just like a dude she met at a bar (laughs) yes but um Blake will come to play a huge role in Amy's life so would love to know their sinistry okay so Blake was born April 16th 1982 in Northamptonshire England and we don't know what time so we're not doing his rising or anything but um at least okay in the whole sign chart the first thing that popped out to me is that he has his Mercury and Chiron in her 12th house, which is a house famously associated with escapism and uh, drugs, like addiction, any sort of escapism, but also uh, the bed in Vedic astrology. So it's like romantic escapism sometimes. I feel like a lot of um, a lot of couples who are sort of like into drugs have this uh, have 12th house overlays and a lot who aren't also do. So it's not like a for sure thing. But also what is immediately like highlighted to me is that his Mercury is exactly opposite her natal Saturn in the sixth house. Um, Saturn in the sixth house makes it hard for people to do like everyday stuff. It's therefore maybe a good placement for artists who don't have to have like an exact schedule. And this is also pre like millennial where like millennials have sort of different schedules. But anyway, His Mercury in 12, I feel like, can talk her into stuff. Maybe that she, you know, if she still thought drugs were, class A drugs were stupid or that's what they said, right? I also feel like this could be, um, whenever there's like a Mercury-Saturn opposition, there tends to be secrets or like just complete, people are hiding stuff from each other. So I, on one hand, I feel like he probably was able to see deep into parts of her that that other people couldn't see. And on the other hand, I feel like she might have kept stuff from him. Or that they might have, like, thought about sort of things like that. Um, That's a bit of a deeper read. But 
Um, so he like understands her, but he also uh, drains her of her energy and life force. And this is also highlighted in the fact that uh, they both have Capricorn moons. If your moon sign is in the same uh, placement as your partner, like that will tend to be some sort of like a, a place of understanding, especially with um, what's it called? A debilitated moon. One in Capricorn, like they probably don't really need to talk, but they can just have like a sort of knowing. Capricorn is like Capricorn and Taurus are just very steadfast signs. I think, in my opinion, maybe the most. His uh, Capricorn moon is also with the South Node, and that's going to be draining on her life force energy, especially with. I've never said life force energy before. Um, especially <laughs> with uh, in her eighth house, which is like the house of sharing. It's the house of like where they get intimate like sex and also just like sort of otherwise it's all it's like literally the house of like mutual funds like there i just feel like he is draining her the south node is a drain so this is like emotionally draining it's also sort of physically draining right like she lost like a ton of weight even just being with him but i don't want to like completely drag him because i also feel like anytime there's a couple and that's what, what like something that astrology is good for is being able to see like why they're together and why it's not exactly what you think it is from the outside. So we also have his natal son in Chiron, which is opposite her Pluto in Libra. And that is, or his natal son in Aries, excuse me, opposite her natal Pluto in Libra. And so this is going to sort of like be somewhat of a power struggle. The sun is exalted in Aries. It's very strong. And then Pluto in Libra really wants sort of like a relationship. It also had to do a lot with like what, equality is it was like Reaganomics is what I associate Pluto and Libra with so this is going to be sort of like a, a bit of a power struggle and also I feel like probably hot sex uh her Pluto's in her fifth house so maybe he was able to sort of talk to a part of her like sexually romantically part of her that's like having fun that other people can't really talk to um plus he has a Libra stellium in her fifth house including Mars retrograde Saturn and Pluto So Saturn's exalted. Mars is in detriment with this huge um, stellium in his fifth house. He's sort of like I feel like it's sort of like a slingshot, like it's going to be really fun. There's a lot of weight here. And in Libra, too, like I I think that he probably wants a really strong relationship and this could be something. And this is like a deep read. But also, I just feel like this could be one where he like like promises are made that are never really held up. Lisa, do you see what do you see here with this chart? I would say that something that really stands out and is like so loud to me is that his Jupiter is pretty close to her Saturn. And we know that Saturn is carrying a lot of weight in both of their charts, but especially, you know, looking at this from like an Amy centric point of view, we talked about her moon. We talked about her moon being in Capricorn, the zaddy issues around that. And then obviously through dispositors, we're going to go to Saturn and see what's going on with Saturn, which in the sixth house absolutely has a lot to do with nutrition and food and what we're eating and how we are taking care of ourselves on a day-to-day basis. So like that has always been, I would imagine even pre-Blake, that was a sensitivity for her, you know, like disordered eating, not being kind to her body, like really like being reckless, throwing her physical shell around has always been the way that she sort of channels and processes and copes with that Capricorn moon sadness. But then his Jupiter of expansion on that, and especially considering the fact that like this Jupiter is so close to this very um, precarious place in her own chart and her own life, I feel like is 
was really throwing salt in the wound of already what her own baggage and the way that she was sort of dealing with her with her identity was. So then, of course, we're going to see just like her go deeper and dive further into that because his what you know, what is sort of expanded and his sort of like go big or go home on that then manifest for her as sort of like wasting away, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well said. I think that there was, you know, looking at this, it feels like there was a um, a homecoming in this relationship, but not in a healthy way. Um, I do feel like these charts are compatible. There is a lot of like strong, intense connections between them. It's not like two charts were like, these don't make sense together. Like they definitely make sense together, but they make sense together in very destructive ways. And then just adding on to the 12th house relationship stuff. Yeah. Like I am famously not that keen on 12th house relationships, you know, and it sucks because obviously there are healthy and functional relationships that are 12th house, but they always, you know, I think that whenever we find ourselves in a 12th house relationship, we do need to be really careful that we are, you know, not keeping secrets that we're not, it's not evoking our shadow self, that this isn't, that it's not like fucking with us psychologically because all of those, you know, addictions live there, affairs live in there, um, delusions live there. So I would say that there was also probably a lot of like very, a lot of projection in this dynamic and a lot of assuming that the other person is on the same page when they were actually not, um, which is also probably extraordinarily heartbreaking specifically for Amy, who already had this like betrayal wound around her. Yeah, no, that's like very deep. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Like they did have a very tumultuous relationship. And in fact, because of that, it did create art. Their relationship inspired many of her songs on her follow-up album, Back to Black. And Back to Black was heavily influenced by Motown and 1960s and 1970s soul music. And once it released, it took off in Britain and eventually entered American charts at number seven, which was the highest debut position ever for a British woman at the time. And this album literally made her just like blow the fuck up. She won five Grammys. She was named the best-selling pop rock female at the World Music Awards. It would eventually become one of the best-selling albums in all of U.S. history. So Back to Black, huge for her. So what was going on with her transits when it was released? Okay, the album was released on October 30th, 2006. Um, and at this time, she was in a 12th house year, and her 12th house was Taurus, and Taurus is ruled by Venus, so Venus is her time ward. Um, and her natal Venus is retrograde conjunct Mars in her third house. So this is interesting. For a variety of reasons um because i feel like on one hand like this is what took her down it's it's similar to the kirk Cobain episode we did because it's like the moment that they got famous is also sort of the moment that there was like a pointing to like i don't want to say decay but sort of like some sort of takedown at the same time also mercury station retrograde in scorpio the day before the release and there's this huge scorpio stellium in her sixth house it's mercury conjunct jupiter and partile conjunction uh, at 24 degrees. And so Mercury and Jupiter, like this is sort of, uh, and in Scorpio, this is like able to sort of really, I think like cut through pain in a way that sort of like how I was talking about her voice, but I just know that every time I've heard an Amy Winehouse song, it just like cuts through to something that isn't like really like artists can't really just always do it. Right. Um, Venus, the sun and Mars are also all in Scorpio and, 
on October 27th, there was a Venus Kazemi at four degrees Scorpio, which is the exact degree that her progressed moon was at when this was released. So that's pretty interesting, especially when we remember that Venus is her time lord. And so a Kazemi, it's sort of like this really purifying energy. And it's interesting because it's where Scorpio or Venus and Scorpio is uh, in detriment. So we have all these like sort of planets in detriment pushing her to the top. And Again, like planets in detriment don't always function to the best for the native, but also they're like rebellious. They're different. They're making people stand out who aren't, you know, the typical sort of um, package that we get. And so also we have this like Venus Saturn dual activation. Um, Venus is on her Saturn and Saturn is on her Venus exactly conjunct. And so this is interesting Everyone knows I love these dual activations. I talk about them and we get them almost every episode. What a treat. So um, this is also how, you know, like something really big is going to happen. That's part of the reason I love them so much. Whenever one planet is conjunct someone's natal planet and then that other planet is also conjunct the other natal planet. It's interesting. Uh, something happens. And it's also especially important because Venus is her time lord. Venus is the planet of love. It's the planet of art. And in Leo, her natal uh, Venus in Leo then is really getting to shine again is this like unique talent. Um and with Saturn on her Venus, it's sort of, again, this like mature vibe, right? She has a very mature voice. Like it's not what I associate with like bubblegum pop, but it is still pop music. She's also in her closing Saturn square, Saturn in Leo uh, squares, Saturn in Scorpio. And so she's on. This is also what was happening to Kurt Cobain when he uh, popped. And so that's interesting. I don't there's not enough data to say like, oh, this is when someone who's doomed Gets famous, but it's interesting. And then also the South Node is conjunct Amy's natal Mercury and Sun in her fourth house. And so then the North Node is in her 10th house of career. So she's like rising to fame. But then there's also sort of like something pulling on her, right? This is like her life force as well as her natal Mercury retrograde, which um, like she's smart. This is like also someone who I feel like you just know she's smart. Even like she would say crazy shit. And I would just be like, she's smart. Like she knows something (laughs) that I don't and never will or something. But like. She, this is just sort of like, again, it's already like she's being drained as she's going rising to the top, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I love your observations so much. They're so they're oh, thank you. beautiful. Um, I think that like, t- you know, it's really very eerie. And, you know, I say this thing called tank, which means there are no coincidences that the same like Blake's Jupiter that we were just talking about, which was pressing on her Saturn, which is also how she sort of self-destructs and her like a big part of the sabotage um, in that relationship is also getting activated through this album release here. Um, Her Saturn is also getting really pressed by the sun. I mean, by all of these planets in Scorpio in her sixth house, but we have, you know, as you mentioned, we have Mars, we have the sun, we have Venus, um, we have Jupiter, we have Mercury all in Scorpio. So all of this energy was either just on her Saturn Like all of it was basically having, you know, just created these exact conjunctions leading up to the album. Right. So it's that same energy of it's like more is more. Right. And it's like more is more when it comes to Amy, who is also struggling and trying to figure out how to work through these the six to 12th house access of like physical demons, psychological demons, physical demons, psychological demons. And then all of these planets that are just sort of stacked in there are making this something that is both of the moment relevant to the release. And then also with some of the the larger planets that are in the mix, like Jupiter is something that is sort of permanent, right? And is creating this lasting effect um, that then we're going to see 
as exactly as like her demise. Crazy. Yeah, this just had to be so overwhelming, especially with like a sixth house Saturn. My Saturn is in my sixth house. It's so easy to be like, uh, like I want, you want things to happen, but then when they start to happen, it's like looking so far ahead and then just getting like overwhelmed, like out of breath. I'm still just obsessed with that album. Tears Right On Their Own was on that. Rehab was on that. Um, Obviously Back to Black. But it was interesting because like the first song on the album is Rehab and the last song on the album is called Addicted. So it's sort of like the start, like it's like an interesting journey, I think. There's also a, you know, in obviously like in magical, in the magical world, like, you know, abracadabra means... I, you know, like as I speak, I will, right? Like what I say becomes reality. So it's also like she's created this album about her addiction. Right. And then she is pre-Saturn return, you know? So like doesn't have the wisdom of and maturity of like separating the art from the artist. Mm. So then how do you embody and become this album? Right. That also become is is so well received. And I feel like that also becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, but also like it puts us it's like almost a scarlet letter on her. You know, Mm. like she she defines herself as this and then becomes this. That's brilliant. One thing I wanted to bring up, too, is because I feel like sometimes with perfections, when you see the house, you're like, oh, my God, like only horrible shit is about to happen to me. And I feel like the 12th house is like one of those. So I think it's very interesting that during this like 12th house year, she gets super famous. But also, as we're about to see, I feel like when I saw this chart, I was kind of lightly freaked out because her fame and just like her fucked up relationship with Blake are like so hand in hand after this album. And we're going to get into it. But it's crazy to be like, okay, she's in a 12th house year. She has like... There, his like son is there, or is that right? Is that where in their sinistry? Because we were talking about they have like that twelfth house. He's there. They have that. But then also we've been talking so much about like her sixth house and her addiction and just having her like transiting time lord in that house. Like it is like crazy how it is so just. I don't want to say perfect because that's like a really fucked up thing to say, but it's just like so aligned. Yeah. But um, besides her incredible voice, Amy was also very well known for her trademark look. She was very thin and tattooed and she wore her hair in this sort of enormous beehive, um, which is very like retro and cool. And then she had a thick like Cleopatra style cat eye, which Eliza also rocks and it looks amazing. But is there anything in her chart that would show that she'd be known for this very particular style or a particular style? I mean, while well, her Venus is retrograde, basically stationary in Leo, the sign of the big cat. Oh my God. So, <laughs> cat which is also eye. the sign of the, of the mane. So wow. she had this hair, this cat eye. As a rule, all Leo's and Leo placements like have to have cat eye makeup. They have to wear hoop earrings. Like these, <laughs> this is, like I don't make the rules on this. You know, like this does this abides. <laughs> so around the time Back to Black is crushing it, Amy marries Blake on a secret trip to Florida where they decided to get married. And this starts a train wreck two-year marriage that many things sent her down a path of destruction, which is honestly, we've already been saying that from looking at their charts. So what was going on um, when they got married? All right. They got married on May 18th, 2007 in Miami, Florida, Sarah's uh, reigning territory. A great place to get married. To get married when Jupiter is conjunct your Sagittarius descendant, right? Bright colors, like loud everything. Um Coke everywhere. Coke everywhere. <laughs> but Jupiter is exactly conjunct your descendant, which is like 
she's getting married this day, right? I mean, it's not always a day you get married, but it's always a big day for relationships. Anytime Jupiter is in your seventh house or on your descendant around it, like it's important. It's a sign. It's like a transit that you look forward to. It's one that I'm, you're always excited to tell your clients about Jupiter in the seventh house or on the descendant is like, it's illuminating. It's expanding uh, the relationships in your or romance. It's a good time for marriage. It's also Amy's Jupiter return. Um, and so this is also like, coinciding with her 12th house year nobody likes you when you're 23 but this is also like this is a time when i mean it's her last jupiter return she ever had so this is sort of like setting her last 12 year cycle that's what jupiter tracks and so hers is in her seventh house her seventh whole sign house that sort of like promise that she's going to like have a really meaningful relationship like this was it it kind of sucks that it was this especially with her jupiter being in domicile in sagittarius but also pluto is in sagittarius conjunct both of their neptunes and i don't want to keep harp but like all i really know about them is that they seem to be like a drug couple and that he sort of cinder blocked her with you know his drug habits and so pluto on their neptunes is sort of like probably making this sort of seem really like um uh, the song that pops into my head is Starry Eyed by Ellie Goulding. Yeah, that could pop into someone's head for sure. <laughs> I just don't, I like, and also Sagittarius is like impulsive, but I also have to imagine that this sort of made for like a really fun dynamic, at least like the night of or at that time. Um, and then the North Node is conjunct Blake's Venus and Pisces. So his Venus is exalted in Pisces. I didn't say this when we were looking at his chart before, but that's like a beautiful time. Like the North Node uh, crossing your Venus not always a great time but yeah so this is sort of like pointing to him like he's making a huge relationship thing his venus is exalted in pisces they're both getting these like moments with these planets and domicile sort of making a big uh splash and then something interesting that mirrors our last episode about alex jones is these retrograde cycles sort of uh appearing in important times in your life and so neptune station retrograde in uh six days uh, before or six days after Amy was born and Neptune stationed retrograde in Aquarius six days after their wedding. So it's sort of mirroring that like natal retrograde Neptune cycle. Also Chiron stationed retrograde in Aquarius two days after. So if you remember her natal Neptune and Chiron both stationed retrograde six days after she was born, this is like a similar pattern. This is sort of marking like a um, passage in her life that like, I don't say like it's not like a point of no return, but it's, it's significant, right? It's like this Neptune and Chiron, even if it's like, it's there and also in air signs, her natal Chiron being in uh, Gemini, it's sort of like a watershed moment in her life. Yeah, I, I think that I mean, something I want to point out because it is just you know, how could it be ignored is that they got married went in with the sun in her 12th house. Oh, oh my so, God. Like, we're right. We're right back in that 12th house, you know, like we're right back in the delusion and the projection of the 12th. So it's like, OK, you have a 12th house relationship. Not ideal. But then you now have a 12th house marriage. Like, (laughs) okay, all right. Did not work with an astrologer. Did not work with an astrologer. (laughs) But the Jupiter on her, Jupiter in its domicile on her descendant is really strong. Um, And I will say that Jupiter in Sagittarius is also like, it's so extra. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it is it's truly like just like the biggest Coke binge casino <laughs> party. Yeah. Coming up with new business deals three days away. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like walking and talking in circles for 48 hours, you know, like it's it's the most. I don't think that I'm sure that this and the excess of that and the precedent being set by that excess 
because it's also in her, her 12th house, you know, we're getting 12th house activation also is part of this like psychological devastation that is happening. Yeah, sad. And it's right after a new moon in her 12th house. It's within days. So it's like, it's always darkest for the dawn, but like the dawn never comes. Oh my God. Yeah, that's so dark. On a lighter side though, the more I think of it, like obviously Jupiter and Sag is so Miami, like yeah. the most extra <laughs> shit in this city at all times. Yeah, yeah. Bless them. Wonderful. <laughs> A strong choice. Yeah. But as she becomes more famous, the more she starts to spiral out of control and her and Blake become regulars in the British tabloids, which we know from previous apps, those tabloids are ruthless and they just kept hiding their drug and alcohol addictions. Yes. And going to get into some light drug talk here, but Blake had introduced Amy to heroin and coke. And after marrying Blake, she started to behave erratically as one does when you're doing i'm pretty sure it's called speed balls but um she was canceling shows she lost a ton of weight she was drunk during performances like blake and her were always known to be fighting eventually blake and her both got arrested separately for different incidents like not even involving each other involving like other people and she was also featured in a video where she looked like she was smoking crack so overall like 2007 was like an absolute like insane year for amy so what was going on with like her transits her perfections um because it was a wild time um so she was still in that 12th house like venus taurus year we talked about and again her natal venus uh whenever so whenever you like you do perfections like you look at the condition of her natal planet and so her natal venus is retrograde and it's like stationary since it's stationed direct 19 hours after she was born so it's like this very powerful planet in her chart right it's giving her this like extreme individuality this huge beehive this this amazing cat eye and then also with that like that sagittarius uh trine she's like i am myself and like you just she couldn't walk into a room unnoticed like if she wanted to that's huge with leo placements too and again yeah she also was married in days following a, a taurus new moon which was like her perfected sign so this is all sort of like it makes sense how it's all falling together but then something that's important that it uh is that her solar return in 2006 coincided with eclipse season um on she's her birthday is the 14th of september sh- on September 7th, there was a lunar eclipse at 15 degrees Pisces. And on September 22nd, there was a solar eclipse at 29 degrees Virgo, um, which is actually the same degree that there was a solar eclipse at right before Kurt Cobain got really famous, I think. So that's interesting. So, yeah, there are a lot of um, coincidences between them, their charts. Or I guess there are no coincidences, as Elisa says. That, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and anytime your birthday uh, coincides with eclipse season, like, that year's going to be one that changes your life. It's also, like, she's already famous. She's, like, now she's becoming famous in a way that uh, I assume no one really wants to become famous for. Like, even, like, she does really have that, like, I don't give a fuck, I'm myself energy, but no one wants their life to become miserable because even if she's... That's essentially like there's no way that she's not a little bit miserable, right? Anyone who's like had a rough go at anything knows that like you don't do that shit when you're feeling great. Aliza, hit us. Well, I I don't work with the perfections, but um, I do love eclipses. And yeah, I mean, just echoing what you said, the, the year that an eclipse, you know, if your birthday coincides with an eclipse, it's big news. So after the British tabloid The Sun released evidence of her drug use, Scotland Yard actually started investigating it and Amy went to rehab. And then that same year, she's arrested again twice. But she does manage to get herself together to put on an amazing Grammys performance in London 
and she wins five Grammy Awards that year. And she had to perform in London for the Grammys because she couldn't get a visa to go to the U.S. because of all of her arrests. Um, So, you know, things just continued to get worse for her. She went to rehab. She didn't stay long. We'll be saying this like 7,000 more times in the episode. Um, Then she gets, oh, she gets sent to the hospital twice for injuries suffered after fainting and falling at home. And her father said, like, you know, she has all these, like, health problems stemming from smoking cigarettes, smoking drugs. Like, she's just, like, not very healthy. Like, was she fainting at home or was she, like, overdosing? She was 100% overdosing. Her dad was such a dick. Her dad refused for her to go to rehab and go to treatment so that she could keep churning out yeah. music and doing her shows. It's like Britney Spears' dad vibes. Very Britney Spears' dad energy, yeah. Um, Amy's parents um, make a public plea for her to get help, which, again, probably more for press. And then Blake, at this point, is in jail, and everyone is begging him to divorce Amy, like, saying that their relationship has ruined her and that they're really bad for each other. And he's finally like, yeah, okay, fine. Because he just wanted to get, like, the press off his back and, like, Amy's family off his back. So they get a divorce after two years of marriage and Amy appears then in public and she's looking like really healthy and normal. So kind of the public is like getting a sigh of relief, like, okay, she might be okay now. But then the next few years are just sort of a flip flop between her seeming like she's okay and then her being hospitalized for like dehydration or getting arrested again, going to rehab again. So it's a very, it's a, it's a very ups and downs for her. But then she does come out of rehab and she's like, okay, I'm going to do a comeback tour. And everyone's like, hell yeah, Amy is back. However, she goes to Serbia where she's like very, very popular and the performance is heartbreaking. I tried watching the YouTube video of it. I got through like maybe three minutes. It's just like very, very sad because she's like so hammered. She like can't really stand up. She can't perform. She doesn't know the words to her songs and it's just like BB sad. That's so sad. Why would they let her go out there? Like who, who let her? Well, I believe and I'm sure that the astrology is going to show up in this way. But I, my understanding with that concert and with the tour is that she didn't want to do it at all. Mm. And that there was, she had no interest in doing it. And there was some contractual obligation that she had. Um, And she was all, she was like trying to fuck it up. Wow. That would make a lot more sense. The Amy Winehouse documentary, I've watched it a few times. Each time, like I know how it ends and it's just truly gutting. But it is, you know, and these very sort of like hindsight is 2020. Like, how did this happen? How could you let someone destroy themselves like this? No one looking out for her. So many people with blood on their hands. Yeah, there's just no one. There really doesn't seem like anyone looking out for her. That's a very downside of Capricorn Moon. A downside of the possibility of that placement. Yeah. Like, I respect their ability to put emotions aside, but it's also because no one ever took their emotions into account. Right, exactly. Chicken or or egg. Mm. Well, this performance destroyed the goal of her comeback tour, which maybe she wanted. So what was happening on this night? Okay, so this was on June 18th, 2011 at 7 p.m. is when the the ticket that I Googled said the concert started. It was also with Moby. (laughs) I think Moby opened for her. Wild. Um, In Belgrade. Yeah, so this was three days after a total lunar eclipse at 24 degrees uh, Sagittarius. And so that's wild. It's it's already an eclipse. It's a total lunar eclipse. That means it's tightly conjunct the south node or the north node. And that's in her seventh house. And the seventh house in ancient astrology or her seventh house in, in ancient astrology, that's associated with death. 
So it's sort of like bringing her down. Um, uh, it also means that the south node is in her first house, which again is the house of like life. It's the house of you. It's it's literally sort of like a drain on her existence. Um, and it's also with the south node conjunct the sun, it's like a drain of light. Um, Saturn station direct five days before this. And so this is like, and it's also, it's in her fifth house of like art performing. Like she, uh, I guess you could say like, it's, I don't want to say it's her not really being herself anymore. Like, yeah, she's drained. She just, she can't do it. And they're still making her do it. Also with Saturn and Libra, she's doing it for other people. She's not doing it for herself. Saturn is exalted in Libra because it, it's like able to commit to things and like help itself as well as other people. But here's sort of like a downside of that. Um, and then her progressed north node, uh, her natal north node's at 20 degrees Gemini and her natal ascendant is at 17 degrees uh, Gemini. So they're already tightly conjunct. When this happened, her progressed north node like had just crossed her natal ascendant within a minute. So this is sort of like it's going back into her uh, her plastic 12th house and like it's going behind her ascendant. Um, so she's it's almost like she's outlived her life already, if that that's sort of like what we said in the Kurt Cobain episode. Like there, you have like a nodal transit, especially on your, uh, what's it called? Cardinal cross. You are going to change a lot in some way. And I feel like this is just sort of like, I don't want to say like marking her for death. That's so dramatic, but it's, it is what's happening, I think. And then Pluto was conjunct her progress moon in Capricorn and also her North Node. So this is her, uh, happening during her, um, what's it called? Her progressed lunar return. Her progressed lunar return already exacted, but it's still during the, uh, progressed lunar return phase. So the progressed lunar return phase coincides with like, uh, 27, 28. Um, and so this is maybe 26 too. So this is like a time it's like right before or during your nodal opposition, which again happens to go, be, go along with the, uh, the 27 club, which I'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, with especially with Pluto retrograde conjunct her progressed moon, like this is again, it's sort of like that power taking her down. Like she doesn't, like she's already sort of um, has like no resources, no one looking out for her with that moon. Like she, her health is gone and like some like powers that be are just taking her down. Like they're sucking her life force. I'll say it again. And then uh, she's also in a fourth house Virgo Mercury year. So this is activating her sun and her natal Mercury retrograde. And so this again, is going to have to do a lot with like her life force, like what she like her natal Mercury retrograde rules her sun. And so it's like a, a, a close conjunction too. So it's sort of like she's just being like taken down and in her fourth house. It's like really it's a house of endings. It's a house of like hidden things like it's it's just kind of sad. It's very um, haunting to have your progressed moon so close to Pluto like that, you know, like that, cause that doesn't happen. That's like, that's not gonna last very long. You know, like you're only gonna have that for a couple of weeks. So it's, you know, theoretically you can sort of like, that will be a difficult time, but you can then, you know, God willing push past it. It's a tough time. That's a tough, like that's a tough, tough, transit to have um and especially you know we're still talking about a saturn ruled life over here so then we continue to go back to seeing this sort of like what saturn doing what saturn up to and saturn is just you know continues to be just be exhausted and in this chart you know like because why wouldn't it be it is being opposed exactly by jupiter in the 12th so it's like we're this poor girl and these like very literal transits are just super, super eerie 
where Jupiter in the 12th is like expanding the psychological, expanding the addiction, expanding the excess. And again, it's like hitting her poor, like self-destructing Saturn in the six. Um, Jupiter is at two degrees Taurus and her natal Saturn is at one degree Scorpio. So it's it's really almost exact. Oh my God. Wow. wow, and, wow yeah, wow. with Mars there too in Taurus, it's at 28 degrees though in the 12th house, it's like hidden enemies. Although I guess at that point, who are they hidden to? You know, I guess like the whole well, world. Well, it's probably everyone pushing her up on that stage, you know? So sad. So after Belgrade, the rest of her European tour is canceled and she goes back home to London. And a month after that, is when her bodyguard finds her dead in her home at the age of 27, which, Aliza, when you were saying about, you know, how that Pluto on her, what was it, her progressed moon? Yeah, right, her moon. Like, it it was going to be, like, a shitty transit, but it would only have lasted a few weeks. Like, I wonder, like, you know, it is crazy because it was, like, I'm assuming still there on her moon when she died. You're right, yeah. Right. And she was like alone. She wasn't surrounded by people like she would have been if she was on tour and uh, so sad. But her the autopsy would find her blood alcohol level was 0.416, which is more than five times the legal limit for driving in England. And it was later confirmed that she died of alcohol poisoning after binge drinking following a period of not drinking. And this was something that she was known to do. Friends of her said she had like a long battle with alcohol addiction. So she would kind of go these like long like cycles of dry periods not drinking followed by huge binges that's obviously like not easy for a body to take let alone someone whose body is like so tiny um so what was happening the day that amy died okay uh amy died on july 23rd 2011 at 3 p.m in london and this was during her like almost exact nodal opposition the nodes were at 22 degrees her natal nodes are at 20 so she never made it for the exact nodal opposition but like we're there like this is really sad the nodal opposition um coincides it happens when you're 27 so this is the astrological transit that uh, represents or explains the 27 club right um along with the progression in return but the the nodal opposition is just sort of corresponds with eclipse cycle so it's the eclipses are happening in the same signs that they were in when you were born, but the nodes are flipped. So your south node, the south node's on your north node, the north node's on your south node. It's sort of like you are being um, pulled in like every direction. I, again, I'm getting this uh, astrological synesthesia for seeing that like Stretch Armstrong. That's how I felt during my nodal opposition, at least. The south node's also exactly conjunct Mars on this day in Gemini. Like they are tightly conjunct. Mars on the south node is, it's very draining and it's like sort of like pulling you down. Um, and it's on her, it's in her first house. So this is just sort of like, again, sucking the life force from her. It's also square her natal sun and Mercury. And so this is, again, she's in that fourth house year where her sun and Mercury are. So it's sort of like in the sun being your, like, you're literally like the life force, like the thing at the center of the universe. It's like who you are. It's what you need to live. And then Mercury being like how you connect everything. So it's sort of like really like a lights out moment. And it's uh, cutting her off from the world, like her her being her first house. It's also, again, yeah, this is during her progression or return, which I already sort of talked about. Um, that happens every 28 years. Uh, lunar cycle is 28 days. The progressed lunar cycle is like 28 years. So yeah, this is like, um, it's just sort of like, and her progressed moon is already further along than her natal moon. So I feel like if we, like, this is sort of like, she's already outlived sort of like what sh- she came here to do. Like, I just feel like she's like exhausted and pulled so spread so thin 
Um, and then again, yeah, Pluto's conjunct her progressed moon. Like this is she's gone and it's like to the degree almost on this day. They're both at six degrees. Saturn was conjunct her perfected ascendant. And so this is uh, something I don't know that I've talked about yet. But you can look at like perfections in real time. And so her progressed ascendant is at 13 degrees Libra and her progressed Saturn or and transiting Saturn's at 11 degrees. So that's really sort of like crossing the the progressed ascendant being like the symbolic you for where you are in your chart that year. If you like as the chart moves along, um, Saturn is the planet of death. So it's sort of like the Grim Reaper. And then her death chart, I see is conjunct her perfected Saturn in Aquarius. So the death chart I see is 28 degrees Aquarius and her perfected Saturn is at 27 degrees Aquarius. So this is also sort of like whenever Saturn's on, I I see a lot of Saturn and I see together in death charts and charts of endings. Um, and so this is again, it, Saturn being the planet of like endings of death of uh, just like restriction. And then the I see just being like a marker again, also of like the end of life. It's, it's also like, the furthest part in the chart. It's just sort of like, I feel like floating away. Um, I'm being a little esoteric in how I'm talking about this, but it just, it's <laughs> all. Yeah. It's like return to return to where you came. Like yes. it, it, it banishes you back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like started crying looking oh. at this chart a little bit because it is just oh. so, it's so sad and it's so, it's so dead. And you know, obviously, like, I'm always so scared. Like, if anyone has these transits, it doesn't mean you're going to die. Right. You could have the perfect transits and still die. <laughs> Says the Capricorn rising <laughs> in me. <laughs> Good transits do not spare you from mortality. Yeah. Um, as bad transits do not indicate necessarily death. Um, but these transits and her chart and her story and, like, something that I feel like is kind of symbolic and interesting is that one of the reasons that she succumbed as she did is because she also struggled with bulimia and her eating disorders throughout her whole life, but specifically bulimia, which just wears down your heart. Um, and also is like, so it's like so eerie Saturn in Scorpio in the six to like throw up your food. Oh, yeah, you know, right? It's like it's truly so the manifestation of it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like all the death coming out, but the sun at the at, in the death chart is at zero degrees. It just entered Leo and Leo is associated with the heart. So that also feels very sort of like symbolic and potent and powerful and sad and heartbreaking, literally. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Oh, so sad. But following the news of her death, people were really, really shocked. Amy was mourned by fans, celebrities, music, business insiders. Many artists like Adele, Duffy and Lady Gaga wrote tributes crediting her for paving the way in the U.S. market um, and for helping unconventional artists like them find mainstream pop success. And in the years following her death, music and documentaries have been released about her life. Amy, which we brought up, was mega successful. It was critically acclaimed. It was award-winning. It even won an Oscar. And it set the UK box office record for the highest opening weekend. And Amy even got a nomination at the Brit Awards for British female solo artists because her music was used in it. But yeah, the doc was really good. I gotta rewatch it. I haven't obviously watched it in a while, but... It tells the story of her life and reveals what Eliza said earlier, that her dad actually did hesitate to send her to rehab. He wasn't generally a good guy. 
But there were also a lot of people in her circle that sort of shared the responsibility for her downfall. But I haven't watched the doc. It's like one of those things where I like love documentaries, but there's something about Amy where I just feel like I need to be in a very specific mindset to watch and I haven't been in it lately like a mindset where I'm like down to cry you know and I just I haven't been there yet like we were saying lightly trashing Amy's dad um, he was not pleased because the doc made him look really bad he had a lot to say about the film and he heavily criticized it, saying it's like misleading and it contains some basic untruths. Um, he even asked the crew to edit the doc after he saw it. But the crew declined and basically they were approached to make the film and they came on board with the full backing of the Winehouse family. And they claim they approach the project with total objectivity and the film reflects findings from a hundred interviews with people that knew Amy. So they felt like they really dug deep and portrayed the true story. So what was going on with the release date for the documentary, Amy? The documentary was released on July 3rd, 2015. Um, and Amy was in an eighth house year. The eighth house relates to death. Her natal moon is in her eighth house and her natal moon rules her second house, which is the house of income and salary. So this is just sort of like literally like earning money post-mortem, which is interesting because it is sort of about how how like she was used for earning money. And then it's also making money off of telling people that, um, which I know there's no way around that really. Like people weren't going to go on Reddit and, and release this information, but it is just the way of things, I guess. Also Mercury was in Gemini dignified, exactly conjunct her natal North node and her rising. And so this is sort of like telling, telling what happened, right? It's sort of like releasing information and just sort of like letting people know the facts and the details. Also Pluto is conjunct her progressed descendant. So I feel like it, in some way, it's uh, highlighting like some sort of opposition to her, or it's I guess it's still bringing up opposition. Like she is still raising opposition in her post life, post mortem, and her progress moon is in Aquarius in the ninth house of Idol. So this is interesting. We saw a lot of ninth house stuff with Kurt Cobain. Uh, ninth house has a lot to do with sort of fame. So I feel like getting a documentary made about you post mortem, although we're also like in a documentary culture but this is sort of like one that was early and and then it's also like the tail end of her sudden return which she never really you know got to uh she never reached in her life i i think i mean i'm just like so haunted by the fact that it came out with the moon in capricorn and it's full moon wow yeah which feels so much like it is a right it was on a full moon in capricorn it feels very much sort of like it is speaking to that primordial wound yeah you know uh, and exposing the father right and that's where a lot of people finally heard about him and his role that he played in her life and that's wow that's so so on the nose wow yeah and also i know we've been talking about a lot of like venus activity as well um Venus, she was having her Venus return at that time, too. And Jupiter was there, too. So G- Jupiter conjunct Venus. It's like right. two Bedeckrex right. being like, hello. Right. That's so beautiful. Wow. Right. The, the benefics conjunct being like the light yeah Yeah. (laughs) you're beautiful you're shining (laughs) so besides the documentary 10 years after her death a vinyl album called remixes was released the album featured some of amy's biggest hits set to electronic dance music i feel like this was just a ploy for money but (laughs) like 
why. Yeah, this doesn't feel like it has Amy's signature on it. It ended up debuting at number two on the Billboard um, electronic albums chart, probably like Dana said, this was during the pandemic when people weren't really releasing a lot of electronic music. Um, But the album was a huge success. So what was going on in her chart when it was released? So this was a second house year. So again, it's the same axis that was activated when the documentary debuted. It is about making money and it coincides with her nodal return, her Mars return and her Venus return. This is a major cycle. It is significant. So maybe this album will end up being more significant than we know, or maybe it'll just sort of like put maybe put people in talks for her um, for like what they're going to do with releasing her music moving forward. But you guys who released this? Was it her dad? Because Saturn is on her midheaven. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it has to be right. Doesn't he own her? Doesn't doesn't he have the rights to her estate, which would include her catalog? Yeah. And it's released when yeah, the sun and Mercury are transiting her activated house or cancer house. Saturn on that midheaven. That's and it's retrograde too. It's exact. It's at 11 Aquarius. It's literally exact conjunct. It's a, it's a utility release, but then also Neptune on her progressment. And I feel like that's sort of like, and for what? <laughs> so weird. Oh, something I wanted to also mention about the, the doc before we forget too, or before I forget, is that um, while it was being created, she was going through her Saturn return. So even though the release of it wasn't on her Saturn return, the whole process of them doing those interviews and sort of like pulling out all of that information and insight and getting to the bottom was while Saturn was in Scorpio, right? So it's like there is that sort of like trying to get to the core and to the heart and to um, dig up the truth, And by the time it was released is when we had Saturn in, like it was past her Saturn return, but all that whole process was during it. Also, the North Node would have been in Scorpio at some point during that time, too. So that could have maybe kicked off the process. Totally, totally. I think the next thing everyone's talking about with Amy is a biopic. And there's been a lot of talks um, recently about who will play her. People have said Lady Gaga is or at least Lady Gaga is vying for it. There's another um, actress named Marissa Abela that is a favorite. Um, You know, they're not really saying much. They've announced that it will happen. They're not saying like when it hasn't even been casted yet. So we're talking years away. But I'm very curious to see who it will be and if Gaga can wiggle her way in there. I would love that. We'll see. Um, well, thank you so much, Aliza, for joining us this week. This was so fun to have you and your cat-eyed perspective. But, um, <laughs> Aliza, where can people find you? This is such a good app. I am everywhere at Aliza Kelly, um, A-L-I-Z-A-K-E-L-L-Y. And, yes, find me all over the internets. So much fun. You guys are amazing. Yes, definitely follow Aliza. She's amazing. Um, Next week, we'll be back with a new episode about Manti Teo. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. And if you want to help support and grow the podcast, you can subscribe to our Patreon. For $5 a month, you get at least two extra episodes. And if you want to help us out even more, you could leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and DM us a screenshot of that review, we'll make you a custom meme of your big three and send you a quick write-up about it. Definitely do that. I'm truly gifted at making these memes. We also have cool Allegedly Astrology merch for all signs on Public, so go there and check it out. And make sure you follow us on social media. 
um, where allegedly astrology on Instagram, Reddit, Hey Hero, and TikTok, and allegedly astro on Twitter. And you can visit our website, allegedlyastrology.com, to learn more about us and the show. Book a reading with me, Dana, and check out charts and transcripts for select episodes. I'm Elise. I'm Dana. And I'm Sarah. And this is Allegedly Astrology.